So as I said, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 48, and they read this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Like I said last week, we're going through what is called Advent. Advent is the beginning of the liturgical church calendar. And I know that for some of us growing up in more of the Catholic Lutheran style of churches, that when we hear the word, word liturgy, we might get a little afraid. But liturgy is not a bad thing. Everyone has, every church, every service has some type of liturgy. Liturgy just means an order, order of what? And so this is the order of the church calendar. This is the order of the church calendar. And what Advent means is arrival. This is the anticipation, the arrival of Christ. We are eagerly waiting for the arrival of Christ. And so what the church does is they start with the beginning of Christ's life and they work through until the Spirit descends at Pentecost. So you've got Christ coming, the arrival, and the church calendar ends with Pentecost Sunday, 40 days after Easter. And I think this is actually a pretty neat way to take a look at the life of Christ. It's the, the church saying we're going to center ourselves on the life of Christ and start the year with his arrival. We've been going through this Advent book with Haddon, and there are these blocks that are set up. There's 25 blocks representing the 25 days. There's a star for a block, and then there's a world. And you put the world on the 25th, and the star sets on top of each of the other blocks. And the blocks have numbers, 1 through 25. And on the blocks, on the other sides, there's images that go along with the little devotion. And it's almost as if every single night Haddon is asking us, are we getting to Jesus yet? Do we get to read about baby Jesus yet? No? Okay, what about the sword? Can we do the one with the sword? There's a block that has a sword on it. And so he continues to ask about the sword or about baby Jesus. <laughs> it's this anticipation, this arrival for Christ. And so we're just taking some time to think through and meditate on the arrival of Christ. We don't normally preach like this. Normally it is a book, but I thought, and we as elders thought, that it would be good to take time to meditate and anticipate the arrival of Christ. You see, Advent is it's not the celebration of Christmas. It's the celebration of the Messiah's coming. Here's why I would advocate for celebrating Advent. Or taking time to think through Advent is because Advent helps protect us against the materialism that Christmas has become. Advent helps us push against the traditionalism that this season 
has caused us to be numb to, where the Christmas Eve service is just more of, this is what I do, right? We've heard of, or maybe you haven't, uh, when my dad and mom lived out east, their pastor would call these priesters or CEOs, Christmas, Easter, only church people. But it's easy for the church people who attend church regularly just to treat Christmas Eve or that service or Christmas as just another thing. It's easy for parents to treat Christmas primarily as a fat elf giving out Christmas toys to good boys and good girls. And so we celebrate Advent and we're thinking through Advent to help prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ. And so this week, what we will be looking at is joy. How does the arrival of Christ, the Messiah, bring joy? Have you ever been so in thought of something that the next person that you see, you can't help but just talk to them about it. It doesn't matter if the conversation is regarding something else. You, you kind of find this way to direct the conversation, to talk about that thing that's on your mind. Well, here in Mary's song, as she goes to Elizabeth, she can't help but just sing what she's been meditating on the past few weeks and months. You see, what we're going to see today, and, and what I think that we're being taught here, is that Mary sings with great joy because she's been meditating on the fact that the birth of the Son of God is coming. Let me say that again like this. I think that what we're seeing this morning is that Mary sings with great joy. Mary is anticipating the arrival with great joy because she's been meditating on the promise that there would be a Messiah that would come and she's been told that this Messiah would come through her. Okay, so what we're going to see in these one and a half verses is simply just this. Mary's bursting with joy by making God as big as possible. So for you type A'ers that need to take notes, here's that. That's the first, first point. Mary bursts with joy because she's making God as big as possible. Second, Mary's going to burst with joy in God who is her Savior. And third, Mary is going to burst with joy because the God whom she looks at as her Savior he looks upon the humble. So Mary bursts with joy by making God as big as possible. She bursts with joy in God who is her Savior and bursts with joy that God looks upon the humble. Let us go to the first part of this verse. 46, and Mary said, What's about to take place here is what is called the Magnificat. It means the magnify simply is what that means. And so 
let's just look at the context a little bit of what has led up to this point because the song isn't in a vacuum. There's very important realization or reality that took place before Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth. And so we see this in verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel comes to Mary and explains to her, and there are some key things that we have to see. Verses 32, 33, And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord of and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So there were weeks, if not months, of Mary meditating and thinking about God, about his plan about the promise the angel passed on to her. So, so here's, here's the thing. We should look at Mary and honor her. It says in here that generations will call her blessed. We should not idolize Mary as the Catholics do. Mary is simply just a human being that God chose to use. Mary was not sinless, the scriptures never tell us that Mary was sinless. Therefore, we shouldn't interpret it and say that Mary was sinless. She was not sinless. Mary was a sinner. However, the Lord saw fit to use her. So let's honor her as the Son of the Most High's mother, but not idolize her. Because as Mary is meditating about this promise, this this reality that the Most High, that, that her son will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. She starts to think about the stories of the Old Testament, the promises that were passed on from generation to 
generation. And so as Mary is meditating upon these promises, the dam of Mary's meditations burst open and she sings starting with this. My soul magnifies the Lord. Have you ever been able to say that? My soul magnifies the Lord. This is the first lyric to Mary's meditated song. As she was thinking about this, the first few words are, my soul magnifies the Lord. She magnifies the Lord. What does this, this word here mean? Why is this important? Magnify is just to make bigger. It's to make greater, more powerful. So as I was preparing for this, I, I read a good sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached a long time ago, and I thought what he said was really good. I think, and I think it's, it, 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 it explains this well. It's not that Mary somehow was adding on to God and saying, I'm just going to make God greater in my own image and likeness. No, what Mary is doing here is because of her meditation, it's like she's taken a bug and put it under a microscope so that way she can see the details. God is revealing to Mary himself in this type of way through her meditation. It's as if she took him and put him under a microscope and now he is a hundred times bigger. It's not that she had some type of special revelation. No, we are told. We saw this last week as the angels sung, glory to God in the highest. God is in the highest. He is greater than our own thoughts of greatness are. And so here we must realize as the mind takes time to meditate on the greatness of God, God becomes more clear. We see dimly, but as we meditate, God becomes more clear to us. You see, with this first line, Mary is doing what David called her to do back in Psalm 34. Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt His name together. David here and Mary are saying essentially the same thing. Let's make God great in our hearts and say that greatness from our lips. You see, Mary's joyful song is a byproduct of her deep meditation on God. How often do you take time to meditate on God? I know we lived in a very fast-paced world. I know we, we treat things more like Veruca from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I want it now. Give it to me. 
we treat the, the things of God and meditation more like fast food where we can just pull up to the window, order, and get what we want. Or even now more easily, we don't even have to leave our houses. We can go on an app and tell an Uber driver to bring us our fast food to make it faster sometimes. But here, Mary, what we see is a deep meditation leads her to first start this song with saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. How often during this Advent have you taken the time to deeply meditate on the coming of Christ? It's easy, is it not, for us to become very relaxed in our pursuit of God. In our relationship with God, we get weighed down by the things of this world. And yet what Jesus is doing is saying, sit at my feet. Stop being so busy. Come to me. Meditate on me. I believe that if we ever really want to see a revival break out, it starts with us individually and it starts with our individual meditation on the things of God. Not just giving Him a little touch and then going on with our days. But throughout the day, meditating on what His Word has said to us that morning. taking extended time to say this day, this Saturday, this Sunday, I am going to spend an extended amount of time in prayer, in reading and singing. This joyful song is the overflow of the meditation that Mary had been thinking upon before coming to her cousin Elizabeth. It's the meditation of the arrival of this baby, this, this Christ. And because of this meditation, because of her magnifying, making God great, it leads her to rejoice. She says that, doesn't she? She, she says that next in the rest of verse 46. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Oh, isn't it great to know that the Christian faith is not one of gloom and doom? Not one where the apostles say, groan in the Lord again. I say, groan. But instead, he says, rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say, rejoice. And so Mary's spirit rejoices. It rejoices in God, her Savior. How sweet to know that God is a Savior. This is just further confirmation that Mary is meditating upon the coming of the Son of God. She could not help in her spirit to rejoice. As God gets more big in Mary's heart, she rejoices more in God, her Savior. 
God has not forgotten about His his people. God is still planning on rescuing His people. He is still planning on carrying out His promise. His plan is still in action. God was still planning on rescuing His people. And so Mary couldn't help but rejoice in the Lord. Now the the Scriptures don't give us very much insight on, on Mary's understanding of what her son would do, right? We sing the song, Mary, did you know? And some very theological, politically correct people will say, yeah, she knew. She did, but how much? However, did she know the, the promises that God made to his people the, the promises to send an offspring, a, a promise that the offspring would be the, the king of David, or the, the offspring of David? Mary's spirit is rejoicing in knowing that this long-awaited offspring is coming to set things right. She would have known. Let me answer that question for you. She would have known. She was a, a faithful Jewish young woman who would have been taught these stories, these promises. She would have known. She would have been told the stories of how God promised Adam and Eve in the garden to send an offspring. She would have been told about how God led Abraham, her father, through the desert and and to a place that he would be giving an offspring that would bless the nations. She would have known how God rescued and saved Israel out of Egypt and how she brought and how he brought Israel through the wilderness how he saved Israel time after time God has delivered Israel and so God is the savior and she knows this and so her spirit rejoices in the God of her her savior the God savior And so now what? How is our Savior going to rescue us now? Through her son. Through the baby. Through Christ. And here's where we must be careful because the biggest joy killer If Mary's meditation is leading her to joy, what would be the biggest joy killer? Forgetfulness. The biggest joy killer for Mary, for any of us, will be forgetfulness. They'd forgotten God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. The greatest joy killer that poses any threat to you and I is forgetting God, our Savior. Forgetting what Christ has come to do. So I wonder if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian. Can I just ask, what is your spirit rejoicing? 
can I just suggest that it's probably changed over the years, and the current thing that your spirit rejoices in is probably starting to look more dim than shiny like it once did. And this is because of sin. It causes us to look for joy in one thing or another. It causes us to say, that will bring me joy and happiness. That's starting to fade. This will bring me joy and happiness. But the Bible shows us that we can actually have lasting joy. Joy, deep joy, true and genuine joy. And that doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you just find the nearest flower garden and you just start skipping through it and life is like that. It's not that all of your problems go away, but it does mean that when you trust in Jesus, you have a Savior who has bore your wrath. He's taken your punishment. He has died for your sins so that you can have eternal life. The reason why Christian joy never dies is because Jesus doesn't. Christ is our joy. And Christ is imperishable. He is eternal. And so as Mary's spirit rejoices, it rejoices in God, her Savior, because she knows that God is coming to save them. So Mary's song has taken a joyful turn into her spirit, worshiping God who is her Savior, who has saved Israel time after time after time. And now we see that God is sending His own Son to save His people. But the last look that we will see in the beginning of this song, and I'd encourage you, read through the rest of the song. Read through the rest of what Mary has to say sometime this week and meditate upon this as well. But the last look that we will see in the beginning of this song, I'm sure came out of the question, why? God, why? For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Questions must have plagued the mind of Mary. A new young mom. Why did God choose me to carry his son? What did God see in me? I'm just a young girl. Can I care for this child? What will people say? I'm of no importance or influence. I've married a carpenter. Will we be able to support this child? God, I haven't parented before. Many questions must have come to Mary's mind. But there is one thing that she does know. God has looked upon her humble estate. And is this not true for all of God's servants? Scripture tells us that God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble 
the psalmist tells us, for the Lord is high and he regards the lowly. So Mary may have well asked those questions, but when you look at the story and the plan of God, does he not use the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to show his strength? This is a consistent theme throughout the scriptures that God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his great plans, the most unlikely circumstances to accomplish his ends. He uses the least likely people to display his glory in the most magnificent ways. Mary herself knows that she's no one special and she's perplexed. She's perplexed because during her time, that's not what the religious leaders would have taught. So if you're here this morning, please hear this. God uses the least likely people in very ordinary ways to accomplish his great kingdom work. Look at Mary. She was giving the task of birthing and parenting the Savior of the world. Some people would look at that as a very oppressive Thing for God to do. A stay-at-home mom? Are you kidding? This is the 21st century. So parents, mothers, your task to raise up a godly child is important. God looks at that as important. He sees that as important. Maybe you don't think you have enough money to make an impact in the kingdom. God took a child's five loaves and two fish and multiplied it. It's a very unlikely thing. You don't need to have a ton of resources to make an impact. You need to be willing to give what you have. Maybe you think you are not smart enough or a good enough communicator. I'd like to encourage you, either read the story of Moses' life or pick up a biography on John Bunyan. He was a Puritan Baptist evangelist who had no formal education. Who God used to spark a revival in the UK. Maybe you're here and you think to yourself, I've sinned too greatly and God could never possibly forgive me. Look to Abraham. He was a liar. <laughs> he told multiple people that his wife was his sister, which was technically a truth, but also technically a lie. Look at David, an adulterer who took advantage of Bathsheba 
Look at Paul, a murderer. Maybe if you look at yourself and you think, I could never do anything for God's kingdom, then look here and know this. God doesn't require you to have a big platform, high level of education, clever wit, be a good communicator, or to be a, a top-notch influencer. All he needs is your trust and obedience. This is what we see in Aaron. Trust and obedience. We'll look at this a little bit more when we get into the book of Matthew the new, in, in this new year. But we see Mary just trusting and obeying God. So just conclude with this and then let's pray. Far too often in this world when we ask the question, how do I get more joy? We answer it with saying we need more things or we need to clear our minds or if I'm not joyful in my relationship, then I need to cut ties or I'm losing joy in my work, then I need to do something else. But as I've tried to argue for is those things lose their joy and they lose them quickly. But here... If you want true and lasting joy, this is how Scripture teaches us to find true and lasting joy. Meditate on God's Word. Meditate on the things of God. And don't just give it a little touch. As one pastor says, it's an ocean. Swim. Don't just dabble in it, but actually jump in two feet and swim in this ocean. Church, if we take time to meditate on God's Word, we will probably be, I would argue, we would be the most joyful church in the valley. Not that it's a competition, but I think we would be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that you haven't called us into a relationship of works, but a relationship of joy. And so would you allow our minds and hearts to take suit after Mary's deep meditation on the arrival of her son Jesus. And would you please, would you please give us the blessing of being led into rejoicing in God our Savior. Would our souls magnify you greatly? Would we not settle? But instead, would you please cause our hearts to magnify in the Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.